Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. It's good to be here amongst God's people in the presence of the Lord. I'm glad that you're here and I'm glad that I'm here. And that we're beginning this um, series in the foundational principles of the Christian faith. If you were here last week, um, you would have heard how Pastor Ephraim started our foundational series by looking at the foundation of the Bible. And he looked at how we as believers can have total confidence. We can put our total trust in this collection of 66 books which we call the Bible, God's Word, in which he has chosen to reveal himself through. So today, we will be looking at the second part of this foundational series. Even though, strictly speaking, it is the first foundational principle that we find in the book of Hebrews, which we will be taking this series from. So, today we will be looking at the foundational principle of repentance. But not just repentance, because Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1 clearly sets this principle out as repentance from dead works. So, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you like to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1? And we can begin today's study. And once you're there, if you'd be ever so kind as to say amen... Amen. That wasn't so unanimous, but it's okay. Amen? Are we there? Okay. Um, Pastor Ephraim also mentioned that um, it's good that we as God's children come to the house of the Lord prepared. Prepared with a Bible and prepared with notepad and pen. Because I don't know if all of you are like me, but my memory isn't so good. And I have to write things down in order to make sure I can go back and digest exactly what was shared and what was spoken of um, in the study. So um, I encourage you um, to bring your Bibles, to bring notepads and bring pens and make notes. Um, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying and of hands, of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. These opening verses of Hebrews chapter 6 
outline the basic principles of developing and constructing a rock-solid foundation for a life of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know from the natural order of things that foundations are necessary. And I'm sure that there are a few here who are in the building game. And they know about if you, you, in order to build an edifice, you have to lay the right foundations. It would be foolish of us if we try to build a building without laying the, the right foundations. Because eventually, the building will either crack, it will subside, or it will topple over. And likewise, in the spiritual realm... Before we attempt to move up and move on in our spiritual walk with the Lord, it is paramount, it is important that we dig deep to establish the right foundations so that we don't crack, we don't subside, we don't topple over, spiritually speaking. Now, Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 and 2, as we look at it, we see that it gives us a progressive list. And the list shows us the complete scope of Christian experience. And we see it, it starts off from repentance and salvation, which, if we can consider, is in a dimension of time, which we are all subject to, to the future focus of eternity with the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So we have this progressive journey set out before us. The next thing we need to observe is that the author of this book, he sets out two thoughts side by side. His desire is to move on to expound on deeper spiritual insights and revelation, which he states here in the text as going on to perfection. But he's unable to do it. He's unable to do this because these believers have become dull in hearing. And it mentioned that, mentions this in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11. So the deeper truths, the strong meat that he desired to share about people such as Melchizedek and so on. These deeper truths which belong to the mature and those who are of a full age, they weren't able to receive because they were immature. They had not laid the right foundations within their, within their lives. And so the author here backs up. It's like he applies the brakes so that the right foundation could be laid in the lives of these believers. And subsequently, in the lives of all of those who would go on to call upon the name of the Lord. So... The first question in my mind is, what, or better still, still, who is the right foundation? 
Would you like to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is... Jesus Christ. So we clearly see that the Lord Jesus himself is the only true foundation upon which an individual should build their lives upon. If we build our lives upon him, then we are building upon a sure foundation, a solid rock, as mentioned in Matthew chapter 7. The Lord describes in Matthew chapter 7 how two men built houses, one upon a rock and one upon sand. They were all subject to the same elements, the wind and the rain and everything, but it was only the house which was founded upon the rock which stood. And so... We have to be sure that we are building our lives upon the solid foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. But sticking in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it goes on to say, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay and straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So, even as Christians... Professing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to be careful in how we are building upon that foundation. The Lord is checking our motivation. Why we do what we do. Heavy words in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Which should provoke us to be wise builders. Desiring to produce the gold of faith as we follow the example of the Lord's life and, the char- and his character as revealed to us through his word. Perhaps the silver of obedience as we follow his lead and direction as given by his spirit and through prayer. And perhaps the precious stones of discipleship and community as we give our lives to discipline and to each other. I'm sure that when we all came into, sa- into saving faith and relationship in the Lord Jesus Christ, none of, them, none of us said, oh, yeah, I just want my life to be consistent of wood, hay, and stubble. Who sets out their, their Christian walk like that? No one. But the fact is, we get sidetracked. 
we find that, you know, Christianity can easily become mundane and routine. And before we know it, we're just doing what we do, as opposed to doing what the Lord wants us to do. Gold, silver, and precious stones. And, you know, it just reminded me as I considered these things that, you know, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, he says, Being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I'm sure that's all of our desires. To be a royal priesthood. Offer up spiritual sacrifices. Instead of just thinking, oh, I don't like the way he talks to me. Why do they treat me this way? That may be the case, but there may indeed be a bigger picture. The Lord may indeed be forming character within your life. And so we look at gold, silver, and precious stones. And, you know, again, these are minerals which only get purer and of more value as they go through the process of fire. And we look at these. You know, Paul places these in contrast to wood, hay, straw. And all of these materials diminish and are totally consumed as they come into contact with the testing agent of fire. What does Peter say? He says, beloved, thinking not strange about these fiery trials which have come, what, to kill you? Not to test you. To prove you. And as we look at these materials of wood, hay, and straw, you know, they're reflected of uh, someone who is in saving faith uh, relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but, you know, they have a lack of obedience, unwilling to be led by the Spirit of God. You know, they don't really want to be accountable. They don't really want to have fellowship. They want to have that sort of, like, standoff relationship with the Lord. They're still saved, but they are not fulfilling the call of which Christ Jesus has called them into relationship with themselves. And so, we look at the first principle laid down in Hebrews chapter 6. And I suppose the best way um, to try to understand repentance you know, is to look at what the word actually means. You know, repentance, to repent, or to be repentant. You know, what does this word mean? Well, in the New Testament, there are three Greek words used to denote repentance. And I don't know if you're all aware, I'm not going to take it for granted, but the Greek language is so much more richer than our English language. You know, it uses words which convey a specific meaning. And as it uses a particular word, you know exactly what the speaker or the author is trying to communicate. And so we have three 
Greek words for repentance. And we have two Old Testament words which describe this aspect of turning around and moving in the opposite direction. The first New Testament word is a verb called, and I'm going to try and pronounce it right, metamelome. Meta, M-E-T-A, mel, M-E-L-O-M-A-I, if you're taking notes. M-E-T-A-M-E-L-O-M-A-I. Amen? And this word is used for a change of mind. A change of mind as to produce regret or even remorse on the account of sin. But interestingly, this word does not necessarily convey a change of heart. This word, metamelome, is used with reference to the repentance of Judas in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 3. And of Esau, as we find in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12 and verse 17. Matthew chapter 27 verse 3 says, Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful. Or some of your Bibles may say, repented and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Judas was indeed repentant. He was remorseful. He was sorry. But he was not truly repentant. We are equally told in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 17 that Esau found no place of repentance in his father Isaac. Although he sought it with tears. And as you read that on the surface, this seems like, wow, that's harsh, Lord. The guy is seeking, he's trying to seek repentance with tears and he can't find it? What's that all about? Yes, he was sorry, but he was not truly repentant. Now, to help us try to understand this a little bit more, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9, See, I'm getting you guys to do a lot of work today with your Bibles. Because I like to hear the... I got it, yeah. I like to hear that flutter of paper. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. The Apostle Paul says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Now, I don't know if you know the backdrop to this, but the whole book of 1 Corinthians is Paul having a go at the Corinthian church. Because they've been immature. They're thinking, hallelujah, praise the Lord, I've got a spiritual gift. But they're immature. And so he has to write this letter and rebuke them in a sense. 
and show them how they should be acting. And then he writes this second book of Corinthians and says, you know what, I wrote that letter and it probably hurt me than it hurt you. More, it hurt me more than what it hurt you. And now he's writing and within his writing the second letter he says, you know, for you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. I did it for your good. It was being cruel to be kind. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. You see, godly sorrow leads to something. Worldly sorrow also leads to something. Godly sorrow leads to not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Godly sorrow leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So, this word, metamelome, is the worldly sorrow, which eventually produces death. And it's basically, I'm sorry because I got caught. I'm sorry because I got found out. Somebody's driving down the road, speeding, the police stop, stop them, and they're sorry. Don't give me a ticket, please, don't give me three points on my license. Okay, fair enough. I'm going to let you off this time. Five minutes later, 30 mile an hour, they're doing 40. Now, they weren't sorry. They were sorry because they got caught. But if they were really sorry and repentant, they would not be breaking the law again. Do you get the picture? Sorry because I got caught. Well, then we have the verb... You see, I'm taking my time here now. <laughs> Metanoio. M-E-T-A-N-O-E-O. This verb is made up of two Greek words, meta and noio. And this word means to change one's mind and purpose as the result of after knowledge. Basically, Again, we were thinking in one way, then we received this new information. And as a result of receiving this new information, we changed the way we think. We changed the way we thought. And as believers, we should all be able to testify of the truth of this word. As we were all thinking in a particular way. Living our lives according to the dictates and course of this world. Being conformed to this world. And then, after hearing the message of the gospel, we change the way we thought. We change the way we think. We believe God. And we began to move in the total opposite direction. Being transformed by the renewing of the mind in effect what we did was we metanoio and this verb has the same linguistic root as the third word used in the New Testament which is the noun called metanoia and most of you are probably familiar with that word, metanoia. 
M-E-T-N-O-I-A. And metanoia is the word which we have right here in Hebrews chapter 6. Relating to true godly repentance. This word obviously also has um, the same emphasis of changing of mind. It's a change of mind and a change of purpose and life to which remission of sin is promised. And throughout all the New Testament, this word always means the same thing. To change your mind towards God. And I would imagine the best example of this is um, what we um, call the prodigal son. Um, Luke chapter 15. You know, we all know the story. He went off into a far off land, wasted all his possessions, wasted all of his money, was there in the pig's pen. And then he thought, what am I doing here? Why am I here? Um, even in my father's house, even the servants are treated better than this. So, he made a decision. He was thinking one way, he changed the way he thought, and he went back to his father's house, opposite direction. Amen? And so, this is the best example in the scriptures which we could have of having this change of mind in a truly godly fashion. And this word metanoia is always, can I hear you say always? always. Thank you. Always based upon a conscious decision and never, ever, 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 ever an emotion. And I say that because if you've been a Christian for a while, if you've, you know, been at, at different various churches, we've probably all come across people who get touched by a message. They're crying. They're emotional. Somebody says, they only want to receive Jesus. They come running to the front and it's, I want to receive Jesus. And the decision is based upon an emotion. And, don't, I'm not going to say it all the time, but generally, that doesn't keep someone. We are indeed created with emotions. There's nothing wrong with emotions, with balance. Nothing wrong with emotions, but salvation is not based upon our emotions. Our salvation is based upon the truth of God's word. It's based upon the truth of what Jesus Christ has done for us at Calvary. And that is whether you feel it or not, whether you want to accept it or not, it stands true. True repentance starts when we have wiped away the tears, when we've used up all the Kleenex, and we have that sober mind frame, and then we make a decision to count the cost and follow Jesus. The scripture says that no man goes to war without first counting the cost. 
I don't know, I can't remember the numbers, but he said, boy, if you've only got 500 soldiers, and you know that man over there has got a million soldiers, boy, you better think about whether you want to go to war with him. But in that scenario, hear what? One man with God is a majority. I just thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> Amen. So, true repentance, it starts with a sober decision. Not anybody, you know, not the, the nice soft music being played in the background and come to Jesus. No. Manipulation. We don't want to manipulate anybody into the kingdom. No. You make a decision to choose Jesus. We count the cost. So we have these three Greek words. Now, I'm sure there's many of you who don't have a pen and a notepad and you wish you had those three words. Amen? Amen. I'm playing with you. I'm sorry. Um, but we have those three Greek words. But, you know, in the Old Testament, we've got two words which give us, gives us this sense. It communicates this turning around and moving in the opposite direction. You know, this, it gives us this sense of this genuine repentance. And the two words are nakam, you like that, nakam and shaub. Nakam is spelled N-A-C-H-A-M. And shaub is, spent, is spelled um, S-H-U-W-B. Shaub. Many of you Greek scholars will correct me, I'm sure, afterwards, but... I'm doing my best. And simply to say that where the Greek words emphasize the thought process, the Hebrew words or the Old Testament words, they emphasize the corresponding actions. It's like faith without works is dead. Amen? You could mentally assent to thinking about Jesus but never ever do anything about it so we need the two things to work together and this is the picture which which the scriptures give us old testament and new testament it's the new testament saying yeah change the way you think and the old testament saying and change the way you act in harmony So again, the New Testament denotes the inner decision and the change of mind, while the Old Testament denotes the outward action, which is the expression of the inward change. And for me, it's just a beautiful picture. The next point is, repentance has to be the sinner's first response. And the majority of us here are here because we first repented in response to hearing the message of the gospel we repented of our sins and we did this because without exception the scriptures truly says that we have all gone astray and turned each one to our own way we have all gone against god amen the bible says there is no one that does good. No, not. 
No one seeks after God. No, not. So we're, we're all in need of repentance. Every single one of us. And so in order to get back into right standing and right relationship with God the Father, the first thing we must have to do, must needs, is put in place the first building block of repentance. Because without first having genuine repentance, it's impossible to have genuine faith towards God. You know, last week we baptized, I don't know, 20 candidates. It would have been pointless baptizing those can- candidates if they had never first repented. It would make no sense. They would just be getting wet. It would be pointless, my beloved Pastor Ephraim or Pastor Robert, laying hands on an individual in order to empower them into ministry, into service, if they never ever repented. It'd be nonsense. It would be silly because that individual would never ever have surrendered their lives unto the Lord. And that's the issue. Have you surrendered your life unto the Lord? And so the New Testament clearly lays out that it is always repent first and then demonstrate faith towards God. It's always the way. We turn 180 degrees away from sin and move in the total opposite direction in faith towards God. And as I said, this is the pattern we see throughout the New Testament. All right, quite a few scriptures to get through. We see this first with John the Baptist. Mark chapter, three, Mark chapter 1 and verse 3. John the Baptist, the voice of one cried in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. John came to prepare and point. Prepare a nation for their Messiah. Prepare a nation, you know, to be ready for their Messiah. So first we see repent first, remission of sin after. Then we see the Lord Jesus. He continued the call with his first recorded words in Mark chapter 1 and verse 14, which says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So again, repent first and then believe in the gospel. After the resurrection, the first commandment of the Lord is found in Luke chapter 24 and verse 46. Jesus speaking, then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer 
and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in, the, in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So again, after the resurrection, repentance first, remission of sin after. Peter, Acts chapter 2 verse um, 38. He says to the whole crowds, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, in the birth of the early church, the same message. The Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 20, and verse 20 and 21. Paul says, How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, Repentance first, and then believe and walk in obedience after. Get the picture. John the Baptist, Jesus, Peter, Paul. So, repentance has to be the first building block. Now, moving on. And I hope this isn't trying to be too complicated in any way. But Hebrews chapter 6 says it's repentance from dead works. So we're, we're repenting from something to something. And what we're repenting from is what Hebrews chapter 6 says is dead works. And God is deep. No, serious thing. God is deep. I found it deep anyway. Because with one master stroke, it's like, woof. One master stroke, four words. Jesus categorizes everything and anything that is done outside of faith in him outside of submission and repentance towards him he says it all comes under the umbrella woo of dead works four words i don't know if you're feeling me that is deep Because if you imagine it, scan history, scan what we would consider the greatest lives which have ever lived. Think about it. The greatest achievements that have ever been undertaken. Think about it. The greatest inventions ever made. And the most wonderful good deeds ever done. You think about it. Done outside of the Lord Jesus Christ and repentance, dead works. God says it. Don't shoot the messenger. In God's economy, it accounts for absolutely nothing. That is deep. 
it's like it's like considering somebody who has this desire to sail around the world solo and they think oh what a great achievement Cape Horn you know going around those places there being on there once seeing sunset sunrise being in the calm seas being in them swaling seas why they would want to do that I don't know but consider as an individual what an achievement that must be. And God says, it's nothing. You've done it outside of my son. What does it mean? It means nothing to me. Good for you. Imagine those guys climbing Mount Everest. Imagine that. Imagine the great medical science, people help and... and and an individual does it outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. As far as their lives are concerned, it accounts for... Don't shoot the messenger, that's all I can say. If you don't agree with it, take it up with God. You know, Jesus himself said... For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? You know, or, or what would you give for your soul? What can you give for your soul? And you know what? Some of us may be here right now thinking, that's unfair, that's cruel, that's harsh. But you know what? I serve a sovereign God. If he says that's the way it is, that's the way it is. Who am I to tell him, no, you shouldn't do it this way? You know, just like Job, you say, bro, where were you when I just created all these things? Where was you? <laughs> Who are you to tell me anything? God alone has the right to decide what does and what does not constitute worth in his economy. In his economy, he says his house should be called a house of prayer. You're struggling with prayer. Oh, I can't get no amens there. <laughs> but let's flip it. On the other side, on the other hand, it's the good news. If your life is in Christ, wow, that changes everything. All things now become a wonderful blessing. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by Glory and virtue. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20 says, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
So now in Christ, if God's working stuff in you and you're working it out, that's gold, silver, and precious stones now. That means something in the kingdom. That means something to God. And so now, being in Christ, you know, the things we do through our work, the things we do through our studies, the things we do within our families or in our various relationships, it means something. It accounts for something. Jesus said that he came to give us life and life more abundantly. And that's not in eternity. That's right here and right now. But as we're coming down to land, Jesus equally said in Luke chapter 13, he says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And I don't know any other way of saying that. But saying it again. <laughs> Unless you repent, <laughs> you will likewise perish. And it's not funny, but it's serious. It, it, it decides your eternal destination. We are, whether you know it or not, we are eternal beings right here, right now. It's all a matter of where you're going to spend eternity. So today, as, as maybe Tim and the guys come up to start leading us into a bit of worship. If you have never ever repented, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. It says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day, ooh, sorry, let's start that again. Can you turn the monitor on? In an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Salvation is not something that you should say, I'm putting off to next week. I'll put it off to next year. I've got a few things I need to do before I start surrendering to the Lord. Now is the day of salvation. And true repentance must always go before true faith. And in our final consideration, you know, evangelical repentance consists of a true sense of one's own guilt and sinfulness. An apprehension of God's mercy in Christ Jesus. An actual hatred of sin. And the physical act of turning from sin to God. And then we have a persistent endeavor to pursue a life of holiness, walking with God in the ways of his commandment.
So today, so today, if, um, if that may be you, I would urge you strongly to make yourself known, to, to consider what has been presented before you today and repent of your sins Surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ because that is the better thing. That doesn't necessarily mean that your Christian walk will be happy, happy, happy. You may still encounter difficulties and problems, but you know that the Lord is by your side within those problems. And within those difficulties. And as it was said today, his word truly says that he will never, ever, ever, ever leave us nor forsake us. So I can only urge you. And I pray that by the power of the Lord's Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, that he will prompt you to repent and give your life unto him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we thank you for your word. Truly, it says that it would not return unto you void. But it would accomplish what it has been set forth to do. Your word is true. We thank you for it, Lord. I'm excited about your word, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that as we consider these things, as we meditate on these things, that they would simmer, they would resonate on our hearts and in our minds, Lord Jesus, and that they would urge us and prompt us, Lord, to be more like you. Help our conversations to be rich, Lord Jesus, as we enter into fellowship. And let them be be centered around you, Lord encouraging each other building up each other on our most holy faith Lord Jesus we love you Lord we thank you for today we give you thanks Lord we are grateful for you being our God in Jesus name Amen at the foot of the cross where grace and suffering Yeah, yeah. Got a lot to learn, so I'm listening. I'll be where I fit in, but I'm no diamond ring. Yeah, yeah. Got a lot to learn, so I'm listening. I'll be where I fit in, but I'm no diamond ring. Yeah, yeah